You are listening to the Work in Esports podcast, a podcast where we chat with people who work in various roles around the esports industry and find out about their experiences. From casters to content creators to company founders, we are here to tell their stories. We explore their inspirations, how they got started, gained experience, and so much more. The goal of this podcast is to help provide context and maybe even offer you some practical advice for how you can get started yourself. So if you or someone you know is interested in working in the esports industry, you're in the right place. Today's guest is uh, is Reed. Is it Melton? That's me. Reed Melton, perhaps uh, better known as Rapid Casting. He is a broadcaster of esports who's traveled around the world to pursue his dream. Um, today we're going to dive into that a bit later in the podcast. But in addition to casting, Reed enjoys, from my research, uh, good food and even better street music. Uh, of which there's no shortage in South Korea, that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's me. It's uh, it, me in a nutshell. Not to do the Austin Powers thing, but you know, it's uh, uh, I'm I'm pretty pretty basic. Well, Reed, thank you for coming on the podcast and welcome. It's good to have you. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad when you reached out. I was like, oh yeah, I haven't done this, and would love to talk to you. So I'm glad that uh, we could make some time. Cool, thanks. Um, starting out, uh, can you tell me a little bit about um, what you do right now? And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, well, you know, right now, right now, things are a little bit up in the air for just about anybody. But in general, right now, uh, I'm living in Seoul, South Korea, working in the esports industry as a broadcaster, host, kind of that guy uh, kind of thing. Uh, I've been doing that for the last uh, four-ish years and uh, love it. Great. And um, before you you were in Seoul, you were where did where you where are you from exactly? Okay, so I uh, grew up in um, well, I say Dallas, Texas, because that's like the city everybody knows. It's got an airport and cows and stuff. Uh, but I grew up on a farm way out in the country in North Texas, not too far away from Oklahoma. So if you go to Dallas, you just go straight up. Uh, somewhere between there and Oklahoma is where uh, we had our ranch. Um, and uh, yeah, not a lot of people out there. So I just play video games to have fun and then you know, obviously fell in love with it. And now I'm here. Nice. Uh, you said you, you played video games growing up and, uh, and you fell in love with it. Was there like a specific moment for you where you were like, I really want to work in esports? Yeah, working in esports. See, I feel like the answer to that question, you can tell maybe like how long the person answering that question has been in esports because the like back in my day there was no such thing as working in esports <laughs> nobody worked in esports you know how few people got paid in esports like like shockingly few like like offensively few um so like so nobody really like worked in esports everybody was like the joke was esports dollars, right? If you got paid in esports dollars, that's like exposure, you know. It's money that you should you should be paid. You deserve to be paid. Maybe you have a contract to be paid that money, but it's esports dollars. So like, you know, everybody just kind of understands nobody's getting paid here. Um, so I think as far as working goes, I I just loved it, and I think that that's always been sort of my my go to every time I self check and say, well, you know, am I doing what I should be doing in life right now? I'm just like, well, you know, do I love it? And that's the thing that kind of got me into it uh, to start with. Uh, I loved listening to other people do commentary and I loved like the the competitive atmosphere. And that was something that was so new and strange and foreign to me that I 
when I found out about it, I just totally fell in love. So, um, yeah, ever since I started doing it as a hobby, which is kind of what everybody else was doing way back in the day, uh, I just kept sticking to it until eventually it became something that I could do full time. And uh, did you go to university for broadcasting or did you study anything uh, or did you go to university at all even? I guess that's a, that's a good question. Yeah, I was going to say, are you trying to say like, have you studied anything that would ever help you in any meaningful way? And the answer is no. Um, I, I have two degrees. I have an undergraduate degree in mathematics and a master's degree in econometrics. And neither one of them are related to esports at all and uh, are both almost totally useless but i mean i did learn some stuff i, I can prove it <laughs> you have the degree yeah uh you know you never know what you're supposed to do in life and so my thought is always that you're supposed to like just you know pick a path and then as you figure out what you're supposed to do you can adjust that path so when i was in college my friends would come to me and they'd be like well you know i really don't like doing this anymore change my major and their parents would uh like tell them that they were like wasting their time. Why did you waste a year of that? Cause you know, education is expensive, whatever. But uh, I mean, they at least started realizing, Hey, this is the road I'm supposed to go down. Um, it took me a little bit longer, um, mostly because esports was not really a, a thing that you could have as a job. And so I was pursuing something for, you know, an actual um, employable career. And then obviously esports is blown up and become huge. Uh, and I don't think anybody could have predicted that. So while, yeah, I would have liked to maybe get started a little bit sooner, um, you kind of got to take things as they come. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, did you happen to have any sort of like internships during your studies, even if it was like obviously non-esports related? Uh, yeah. Um, so I did my dissertation not in my field, but I... Um, the director of the uh, astrophysics department at my university uh, got a grant from NASA to do um, astrophysics research on binary stars uh, at an uh, observatory. I think it's actually called Black Mesa, like the mm -hmm. Half-Life mod. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I did an internship doing astrophysics stuff that that sounds smart i didn't do any of the smart stuff i just did number crunching and stuff but it was still really sick that's the only internship i ever did and once again it has you know absolutely absolutely nothing to do with esports do you think that any of the skills that you uh that you learned i guess in school or during your internship uh you know you utilize at all or not at all uh you know i really wish they had um i took one public speaking class my second year of college and aside from that uh yeah not not a lot uh i i mean i i think one of the most important parts of going to traditional school is that it teaches you how to uh take on tasks that you are unprepared for and it it teaches you to like just get the job done uh, i think a lot of people think that things have to be perfect or think that they have to be prepared for things. And I think that uh, college really teaches you how to do things that you are unprepared for, which is essentially all of esports. Um, so it's, uh, I did learn a lot of like kind of life uh, things, but I wouldn't say I learned anything about like specifically esports for many of my traditional education. That's fair. Um, was there, uh, or actually, 
what kind of skills do you utilize most frequently in like your day-to-day work? Say, you know, prepping for broadcasts or, you know, actually live improv maybe, you know, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, one thing actually to sort of draw on your previous question is that uh, research is super important. Um, I know uh, a lot of casters that do zero research and believe that research is a bad thing because it distances themselves from the uninformed viewer. Um, I would like to identify with the informed viewer who is watching because they, you know, follow and uh, appreciate the game. And so uh, in general, I always feel bad if I'm broadcasting and I don't know something that either I should know or that a lot of the viewers know. And so a lot of my uh, broadcasting work goes in ahead of time to prepare, whether it's doing researching on like, I don't know, boring stats. Mostly it's just to catch up to speed with, uh, you know, the the metagame, what you should expect from your average game and whatever the game is, uh, and just to make sure that I have some things to talk about that the viewers will find uh, interesting. And that's definitely something I learned during my traditional um, education quite a bit. So uh, lots of research, um, just lots of practice. Everybody keeps asking me, it's like, you know, I want to be a caster. How do I get into casting? I'm like, well, first of all, uh, you know, maybe consider some other options. But second of all, like if you want to do it, you just got to do it like a lot. Yeah, I think that's that's great. Uh, that's great advice. You know, you just have to kind of do it over and over again. I started doing a little bit of casting a couple years ago um, mm-hmm. and I haven't actually stuck with it. I did about a year and year and a half of casting PUBG and I really enjoyed it. Um, really value that and we'll probably dive back into casting at some point on like a very amateur level uh just because it's kind of fun and i love uh kind of sharing the games and being able to tell stories or just experiencing the moments with people i think it's uh it's just kind of an exhilarating experience uh if you have you know anybody watching at all then it's it's quite nice yeah um yeah totally in your uh in your like day-to-day work i guess when when you're in the studio um, can you tell me about some of the other people that you're working with and maybe like their roles or how, uh, their roles impact you? Uh, you know, um, there's, there's the big claim, which is, I think that I've worked with more unique people in Korea than I think anybody else. I don't think that's true. It's maybe close to being true, but, uh, I I think I've had, uh, the uh, distinct, pleasure of being able to work with a ton of talented people out here um all the way from people who've been here i don't know double digit years to no years um it's really it's really interesting the kind of diverse people that uh either being an expat uh draws into itself or esports or specifically both of those as far as esports in korea is concerned so um yeah i i think the biggest benefit of being in Korea is that I've just gotten to work with a ton of just the most unique and talented people in the world. And I, I don't think I would have gotten that same experience. Um, but when it comes to working with these guys on a day-to-day basis, um, I, I, it's, it's just so fascinating to me to see how, even though our lives may be completely different, um, these crazy circumstances has brought us all to the same place. So you get a chance to work very closely with people who, who like come from very different backgrounds and bring very different skill sets and attributes to this, you know, close, intimate relationship of co-casting and um, 
it that kind of makes you uh have to like adapt a lot and so you've got to figure out okay well you know maybe i know about this game but i don't know how to you know have this cool funny happy conversation with this other person um in a way that is you know like we've been doing it for a million years even if sometimes maybe this is the first time we've we've worked together so I, that's one of my favorite things about living and working in esports in Korea is uh, just always having to adapt and adjust to new things and new people on the fly. Hmm, interesting. I uh, I wanted to touch on some of your some of your travels. So your your okay. career is quite uh, unique compared to a lot of others because you kind of jumped across the world, right? You've gone all the way across the other side of the world. Now in <laughs> yeah. Korea, you know, you pursued your dream. Um, is, first of all, is, uh, well, yeah, I was gonna ask if, is, if broadcasting is your ideal profession, but before we kind of get into that, um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what it took to get you across the world? Uh, like, was that something that you were very, very comfortable with? Uh, did you have some challenges when you were uh, moving? And kind of, can you talk us through that process? Uh, well, one of the biggest struggles um, early on in esports was with uh, organizational legitimacy. Uh, I will say, I'm I almost promise you, everyone working in esports is owed money by somebody, uh, especially if they were working in esports um, eight to ten years ago. Um, that was uh, that was a special time, uh, and so for me, I got kind of unlucky in that a lot of the baskets I put my esports eggs into uh were not not great um also uh i was just completely unprepared as were many other people working in esports to be doing what we were doing um so you know i didn't have any lessons in marketing media professionalism broadcasting networking like any of that uh so uh as far as preparation goes almost none and so uh, I just kept setting goals for myself. You know, I want to get paid for an event. That's <laughs> a goal um, back in the day. Uh, I want to travel for an event. I want to uh, move somewhere to live and work in a studio for an event. And I just kept checking those off one by one. So uh, I think the first place I moved to was the uh, Bay Area of uh, California and uh, San Jose. Uh, and I got a chance to live and work there for a while. Uh, then I was fortunate enough to... Uh, move over to Japan for a little bit to work on some esports there. Uh, then spend some time in Australia. And each one of these uh, opportunities um, wasn't like the longevity was not high. Um, they were somewhat short lived, and none of them you know, lasted very long. And so I was always looking for that one opportunity that would stick, and just kept trying until uh, eventually. Um, I want to say I found it. I did not find it. It sort of found me through um, a very good friend of mine, uh, Sean Delaney. He was uh, better known as Four Court Jester. Sent me this message one night. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, uh, not much. And he's like, can you go to Korea? I was like, let me check my schedule, you know? Um, oh, man, I played it off. I've gone back and looked at the logs, and I'm like, wow, I was very coy about this, trying not to sound uh overly excited yeah uh and long story short it worked out i got to come over to korea and been here ever since nice and uh when you when you first moved there uh this is something maybe a little bit more uh on the personal side of things 
Um, I've done a fair amount of traveling myself and also moved to, you know, Los Angeles from Detroit to Los Angeles to kind of pursue esports. Uh, initially, mm -hmm. um, I've also had an internship that took me to Seoul and then in, to Manila as well. So I've dabbled a little bit uh, in some of that traveling and shifting your life around for, you know, esports or gaming. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I my, myself, I find that it, it can be a little bit lonely when you move your whole life abroad. Um, did you yeah. deal with this at all? And like, uh, and like, kind of like how, how did you manage that uh, when you first started and kind of compared to what you're doing now? Um, I would say that if you talk to anyone who has worked in esports for five plus years, almost all of them have um, at one point or another gone through uh, shocking trauma. Um, talent or creative work is really stressful in a lot of ways that I think not a lot of people outside of that can identify with just because there's a lot of uh, vulnerability with any sort of creative medium. Uh, in a sense, you are judged by people who you have no control over. Uh, and in many times uh, your skill and abilities are not what are the most important factors in your uh, employment. Um, and so as you try to craft the best version of your uh, craft, um, you are doing so with the realization that everyone else outside of your creative circle, um, their ability to affect your life is oftentimes greater than your ability to affect your life. Um, maybe not in the grand scheme of things, but certainly in the short run. Um, so when it comes to loneliness, uh, I will say uh, that when I moved to Korea, uh, it was definitely a mixed bag. Um, uh, I'm very thankful for some of the people that I met out here that were extremely welcoming. Um, I found that while I was maybe personally lonely, uh, initially, there was almost immediately just a ton of stuff to go and do. Um, and so I, I focused a little bit more on my work in the short term because that um, was you know totally new to me, uh, living and working in a new country, in a new studio environment. Uh, I never really had hair and makeup done before all of that, so tons and tons of stuff to get used to. Uh, and so socialization didn't really... Um, like that wasn't on top of my list initially. It became much more important later on. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, you got to pick your friends pretty uh, closely and carefully. Um, and especially when you are coming into a new ecosystem, a new environment, uh, it can be really difficult to know exactly where you fit in there and i mean the 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 one strategy is just to you know be good and happy and nice to everybody and you know that's the way to do it um unfortunately that's a little bit too idealistic and optimistic and uh does not always uh work super well so my initial navigation of uh the ecosystem environment uh was you know i, I definitely could have done some things better. I don't think I would do anything over again, but um, I do think that, like you said, there are a lot of challenges to moving to a new place, a new country, and then certainly working in a new ecosystem and environment um, that if you are not ready for, can definitely catch you by surprise. Wow, yeah, thanks for sharing. Uh, I think 
that's uh, such valuable insight, you know, um, that so important to have that community, uh, you know, somebody, people around you, you know, things to do, keeping busy, even if you do feel a little bit lonely, you know, that's, you're not yeah. the only one. Um, when I first moved mm -hmm. here to Berlin, it was important for me. I play, uh, like Gaelic football. It's an Irish sport. It's like a mixture of soccer, rugby, yeah. basketball, you know, you name it. It's got a little bit of that in it. Um, and, uh, there's community here, a, a team here, and I immediately jumped in and that was kind of my, uh, my saving grace, right? My, my socialization when I didn't know anybody. Um, and I think it's important yeah. to find, find people, even if it's just a handful of people. Um, and at the same time, like you said, stay, keeping busy, uh, having things to do, whether it's exploring the city or checking out restaurants or, you know, just whatever mm -hmm. it is. Uh, and then focusing on your professional goals as well, you know, really settling down and, and working towards them. I think that's, that's hugely, uh, that's great advice. Yeah, um, right. Isn't that just? It sounds so simple to say it, but it's uh, definitely easier said than done. But uh, super important to focus on that um, while you're, you know, going through the motions of whatever it is that you're working on. Definitely, absolutely, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. Um, what, uh, what's something you've learned in like the last year? Learn, learned in in life or just learned just like Profe overall for, in, in your professional work or in life in general that's curveball uh professionalism um i would say um exposure is like a, a word that gets thrown around as uh you know sort of a a joke because you know a lot of people want to pay you with exposure right um and it used to be in the very early days of esports and the streaming that um the ability for one person to have a large audience was comparatively rare and so uh you found that the people who had the largest audiences were not these massive streamers getting these million dollar deals or whatever it was uh commentators uh and so commentary was a way to sort of short circuit the or shortcut the the fame process right you didn't have to be individually able to hold a stream day in and day out you just got picked up by a company who sometimes chose you because you were the only person willing to sit in their studio six hours a day for you know getting paid with free lunch tickets and so there's nothing glamorous about that but back in the day you know eight ten fifteen years ago Exposure is all you've got. Um, and, and the the reason that people offer exposure as payment is because eventually it might pay off. And I think that was extremely true back in the past. Maybe not so true now, which is why it's more of a joke. And I would say the thing I really learned in the last year or so is that uh, things have changed quite significantly. And now um, anybody can can stream. You know, people get big off of, you know, one TikTok video or whatever. So uh it is no longer you know there are less shortcuts nowadays and just because you are a commentator does not mean you will get you know five digit twitter followers um i know people working for the biggest leagues in the world who have double digit twitter followers who have no instagram account or social media who do not stream at all uh and i'm just like well um maybe that was okay way back in the day but the talents required to work and be relevant in esports are changing uh, very quickly. And that's something that this year has definitely taught me and probably subsequent years will uh, teach me even more. 
Mm. And uh, you talked about, you know, exposure is kind of a joke. Um, I just wanted to follow up uh, on that. That's something that is, uh, I think, especially important to to my listeners, uh, to our listeners. I think that um, them understanding how to gain experience and how to do so in a kind of uh, a way which they can actually gain value from is super important. Um, I want to dive mm-hmm. more on, into this in future episodes as well, like talking about uh, successful internships. I want to bring on some people who have, uh, you know, had specifically industry related internships and talk about okay. those and kind of like dive into that. Um, but for our sake, um, can, can you tell me a little bit about like how you recommend people gain experience, uh, whether it's with, yeah, for, for casting specifically, but also maybe some, some other roles that you have had eyes on? Um, how, do, how does somebody gain experience if they want to work in esports or want to work in your role? Uh, yeah, uh, well, first of all, I would say that uh, there, you know, esports is weird because, it, it, I mean, it's, it's the same as other talent uh, related industries in that if you are in the top, say, 20%, you're you're killing it you're great if you are in the you know below the top 80 or 20 percent if you are in the 79th percentile it is horrific uh so uh i would say talk to people who are not making it and feel and feel what that feels like because that's probably where you'll be at um a lot of people go to people who have made it and ask for, you know, big life lessons. And, you know, maybe there is something to be learned there. But I think the big lesson is the lesson that starving artists everywhere around the world for Broadway, for film, for whatever it is, um, can teach you. And that is that uh, any sort of creative or talent-based process is uh, extremely painful. And unless you just make it, you know, you uh, it is not for the the faint of heart or the weak of spirit for sure. Uh so the the biggest advice I can do is to just keep putting yourself out there um reasonably, you know, have uh, a plan, have goals and look at what other people are doing to achieve the goals that you have and then do those things. Maybe you do them on an amateur level. Maybe you don't have stream overlays, all right, but you know, you know how to press the start streaming button. Maybe you don't have Twitter followers, but you see a funny meme and repost it or whatever it is, you know, you, you can, it doesn't take rocket science to see what other people are doing and do it on a level that you're capable of. Um, that's how me and a million other people got, got started. And even though there are people working esports who have fantastic shortcuts, um, and that's great for them. You, uh, you really can't count on that. So some of the best ways that I tell people to get involved, uh, are, uh, you know, if you're going to school uh, and esports is a focus for you, first find a good school and then sort those lists of good schools by ones that have uh, esports programs. Um, got a chance to talk to some fantastic uh, people out here in Korea uh, who are students on an internship that their um, school was able to get with a. Uh, international esports tournament uh in korea and so several of their students were able to come out to korea and work on an esports project as part of an internship for class credit towards their degree uh in the esports program they were enrolled in at their school and i was like wow you know that's that's fantastic uh i really wish that more people had those opportunities but that's you know, really sort of a, a very new concept 
these days. So uh, really happy to see opportunities for people like that that were definitely not around when I was around. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, I think something that's important to note as well um, is that oftentimes it, uh, universities will allow students uh, to create kind of their own internships as long as they can demonstrate and prove uh, like yeah. uh, like the value of it. And what, when I say create their own internships, I mean, you know, they're working under a professional company there. They have this guidance, uh, but maybe it's like a non-traditional. It's not set up through the university, um, but it's almost like a self-study um, essentially. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that when I worked with uh, ESPN Radio for about two years, and uh, that was not something that the or the university set up, but it was, um, you know, it created value, and I was able to demonstrate that based on my, mm. you know, portfolio of work I had at the end of that project. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of free forum stuff out there. Um, I will say the probably the the most ubiquitous character trait that everyone in esports has is um sort of the certainty that's that something they believe in will work out in the future so basically everybody in esports 10 years ago wasn't in esports to be in esports right then they were in esports to be in esports you know 10 years from from then uh it was not a get rich quick kind of thing it was just something that everybody believed in enough to give three, four, five years of their life working for free, you know, having nothing, doing nothing, just because they were so sure that things would work out in the future. And nowadays, because you know it's sort of the age of esports, maybe not even to the fullest extent, um, the same character trait is equally necessary: the ability to kind of look at the way that esports is now and see what it is and where it is that you um, want to be or need to be. And obviously, maybe that's true for everyone, so it's a little bit of a platitude. But uh, for example, like you said, making your own internship, the ability to say, okay, look, I'm pretty sure if I go here and I do this uh, and I'm good, that this is you know, valuable, that this is worthwhile, that this will get me where I want to go. Um, and then you either have to sell other people on your your dreams or sell yourself on your dreams so much that you go and uh, pursue them, which requires you know sometimes some crazy steps, sometimes some good opportunities. But if you just keep doing that, eventually uh, it'll work out. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite part of your job? <laughs> favorite part of my job? Uh, I'll say that like as soon as the camera turns on. That 10% of my job is the best, okay? Um, you know, 10%, wow. You, I would say most people that when they say, you know, I want to have your job or that job or whatever, um, they think that 10% is the 90%. And I think that's maybe the biggest uh, misconception about esports is that uh, a shockingly large amount of work in esports, no matter what field you're doing is not spent working in that field um every commentator in the world wishes they could spend 90 percent of their time on honing their craft you know commentary stuff like that uh every producer which wishes they could spend 90 percent of their time just working with the equipment and the people and the talent and the broadcasts that they want to um you know not not the case uh working where they want, when they want. Everybody you know, wants all of that. And I would say it's uh, 
almost never going to be exactly what you want. You know, I do know a few people who have it pretty well and are in basically their ideal positions. And that's great. Uh, but that A will probably not last forever. And B uh, is not um, not guaranteed um, at all. So uh, sorry, what was the question again? I got a little. No, that's fair. Uh, I was asking about your favorite part of your job. Yeah, favorite part is. So when I grew up, I grew up on a farm in the country and I didn't have anybody that played with me. Um, and there's only only so many times I can sunken rush my little brother, you know. So uh, eventually I found, you know, the Internet and that was not popular when I grew up, but it became more and more popular with the rise of esports. And um, so I found people to play with online. I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, there's this whole world out here and that ability to connect people has always been my favorite part of, uh, of esports. I can sit here in Seoul, South Korea. And when I first came here, I didn't speak any Korean, but I could still sit next to a Korean fan, watch the same show, and we'd both be able to tell that something amazing was happening, similar to traditional sports, where it's just kind of a universal language. And the opportunity to speak that universal language to people listening is just so... Uh, amazing. I still get chills for it. When the camera turns on and you're able to watch awesome people do awesome things and uh, share that with other people, that's that's it. Gave me chills a little bit, honestly. It brought me back to uh, 2011 when I was Oof. interning in Korea and I got a chance to go to the ESL or GSL studio. Um, in, Good that, times. in that school, it was like third or fourth floor of like this school. Uh, the production was incredibly high, but it was like a small, kind of a small, small studio. And it was like my birthday. So I was super hyped to be there. And there's, you know, a bunch of uh, like, we're the only non-Koreans in the in the studio. Um, yeah. And it happened to be my birthday. And one of the producers found out and uh, they were sponsored at the time by Burger King. And so like they, during one of the breaks, they handed out burgers to everybody. And they gave me two burgers because it was my birthday. It was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty nice. Like, wow. They even sang like a little song. <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's pretty sick yeah they, I've, I've seen them do uh things like that subsequently uh the fan experience is just oh it's so good so i'm glad you got to experience that and uh hopefully other people do too yeah i think that the the live esports event experience was actually what kind of what prompted uh my interest in in working in esports, I went to uh, an event in Detroit, the Red Bull Battlegrounds, and oh, it, yeah. was, it was such an intimate event that it really just piqued my interest. I had conversations with everybody from the production team to you know Red Bull uh, team to uh, the pro players, the casters, to you know you name it. And then like at the end of the day, uh, like there was like the after party, which you know, everyone's having drinks and they're more relaxed. I'm still having conversations. I'm asking people how they got involved. Every And pretty much everybody just said, hey, just just do it. Just kind of find something you're passionate about or see, try to find something that you're interested in doing and just do it. There's a need for it. There's an, you know, if you're doing it for, you know, longer than, you know, a couple of months, you probably have more experience than, you know, the 95% the of people who, who are like, like what you're, where you're at right now, but just aren't doing anything about it. So uh, it's it's pretty pretty interesting uh, that that Red Bull Battlegrounds event in my mind. I when I think of that, there was a there was a player. I think it was a Canadian uh, um, StarCraft player called Kane. Are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He uh, <laughs> we had a break dance party in uh, in the the after party, and I, that's one of the, 
you know, one of my oldest uh, esports memories. So I'll fondly uh, look at those events that I think that if you haven't been to one, but you are even remotely interested in esports, get to an event. Um, obviously, today's day and age with COVID-19 and every, everything going on in the lockdowns, uh, it's not really happening. But when it kind of opens back up for business, I think it's a must. Ooh, yeah, it, now is maybe not the greatest time as far as esports is concerned. But when it comes back, oh, baby, um, can't wait. Absolutely. Um, now, I want to ask you about uh, a personal sacrifice maybe that you made, whether it's time, money, um, or something else uh, to kind of work in esports. <laughs> the f first five years? I don't know. Um, like, I mean, you know, esports, e I think people will probably say, like, the oldest, oldest esports, we're talking like, I don't know, old CPL stuff 15 to 20 years ago. Like that's that's the real OGs. But really the only people that had the luxury of being in esports that far ago ago are either true visionaries or people who didn't have any plans that just, you know, things just kind of worked out. Uh you know, if you change one molecule of anything in the world, they're the whole plan falls apart, but hey, you know, happy it worked out. Uh, so, I mean, everybody in esports that's been in it for like ten plus years has made horrendous sacrifices, from family sacrifices because it was just not an accepted career path, uh, to uh, relationship sacrifices, to uh, money sacrifices, housing sacrifices, uh opportunity sacrifices you know all of the above um i and many other people have made all of those countless times uh i would say that there is almost nothing uh that esports will not take from you without giving anything back in return which sounds horrific except that just like any job that is what you love doing when it does give something back it's infinitely re more rewarding than any reward you could have ever gotten doing something you do not want to do. So, um, you know, it is just a little bit of a coin flip, but nowadays it's a little bit more of an established industry. It's a little bit less of a coin flip. That being said, uh, almost anything else that you do will be more guaranteed, uh, more safe, more secured, more reliable. Um, uh, but you might not love it as much. You know, this is true for anything that you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about esports, cool. There's, you know, 10,000 kids who have more followers than you do or farther ahead than you do in every single conceivable way. Uh, and so you gotta, you gotta get on it. Um, because now that it's a little bit more popular and there are people that recognize that they can make it here, just like you want to make it. Um, uh, it's super, super competitive. So, uh, yeah, what a what a challenge. I would say as far as sacrifices, get ready, because uh, I don't think hardly anybody makes it without making sacrifices they are not prepared for or did not foresee. Um, but I think life, just as a general rule, is about what it takes to stop you. So if you never let anything stop you, then, you know, nothing ever will. 
Yeah, just got to keep keep kind of working towards your goals. And like you said mm-hmm. really early on in the podcast, you know, um, kind of walk, go in the direction you want to go in. And then if something happens and you need to pivot, like, you know, you just change. You just keep going. You just keep taking steps. Even if the direction is a slightly different direction, it's not the end of the world. Uh, you can kind of build from there. And the experience you would have gained, uh, you know, in your attempt at the previous direction is just as valuable still. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your career goals. Um, okay. Do you have, like you talked about, you know, how you kind of work through goals kind of uh, point by point as you you've kind of built your career. Um, is broadcasting your like ideal uh, spot to be? Do you have something uh, kind of higher that you wish to attain or not even necessarily higher, just like a different path that you want to seek at some point? Or is this your ideal kind of place to be? Um, uh, esports is great. Uh, esports has given me... Uh, so much that I have in my life right now, just like moving to Korea has. Um, and I would say that those two have always been very uh, intertwined for me, esports and living in Korea. And so certainly I see myself living and working out here. Um, right now, that is uh, a struggle. Um, the uh, ecosystem is uh, extremely saturated. And after... Uh, a lot of shows either being postponed or uh, canceled or uh, shrinking or changing. Um, it is harder than ever. Um, I got DMs sitting in my inbox of people saying, hey, just seeing if uh, you know there's a spot in Korea for any commentator for anything in any way. I'm like, look, you know, people out here in Korea are asking those same questions. So uh, I would say as far as professional goals, living and working in Korea is still one of mine. Um, uh, totally fallen in love with Korean culture and language. And as I start to learn more and more Korean, um, I think that is always an appreciation that I've had um, my whole career is people who are bilingual doing commentary in their second language. ton of talented commentators who broadcasts uh in their second or third language sometimes it's i would say mostly it's english uh but some of them are doing it in chinese some of them are doing it in russian uh polish uh tons of people uh who have uh, lived a very similar lifestyle um and i always have a lot of respect for that so uh as far as career goals um learning korean living in korea uh, working in esports in new and exciting ways those are all on top of the list nice uh excellent uh i want to mention I, I saw you were speaking at the or you did speak or maybe at the the globals you spoke at the global esports executive summit or something like that last year can you tell me a bit about right. that and have you been involved in other events that are kind of similar kind of like what is your involvement there uh, okay, so specifically, you're mentioning an event called the Global Esports Ev- Executive Summit. It's called Geese, uh, for lack of a better acronym. Um, and uh, it's a once-a-year summit that is held uh, internationally, usually in Busan, South Korea, which is the second biggest city. It's down on the beach at the bottom of the peninsula. Um, and it's one of a growing number of esports conferences. But I would say this has the unique characteristic of being, I believe, the most international. Uh, It's got people from all over, everywhere. People from the United Nations come into this. People from uh, 
sports accord from uh, different sub-Olympic entities, like all these kinds of uh, people interested in both networking and learning more about esports. And it's less of a professional, uh, you know, super niche esports kind of conference like you'll see maybe more commonly in North America. Um, this one is really interesting because of the governmental involvement of esports in Korea. So a lot of more governmental uh, people from all over the world will come and try to understand it a little bit more. So uh, this year, or last year rather, in 2019, I had the opportunity to be a speaker at this event, sort of, uh, sort of give the perspective of somebody who, as a commentator, interacts with uh, so many different aspects of esports, from production to, you know, commentary to players, teams, uh, hosting, uh, interviewing, uh, you know, living in a different country, working in a different uh, ecosystem and environment. Um, so I was able to share some of my thoughts uh, about that, uh, really similar to what we've talked about here on this podcast, and um, feel some questions from some of the people who were attending. Uh, that conference and help them maybe give a little uh, understand esports the way that I've had the opportunity to. That's really interesting. I, I'm uh, I'm particularly intrigued by um, kind of the way the Korean government has kind of built in. Uh, they're one of the obviously they've been one of the earliest advocators of esports as a culture uh, in South Korea, um, mm -hmm. and I think that it's we'll see more and more kind of governments and uh, become involved in, in esports. And by that, uh, I don't necessarily mean like play an active role, but uh, as far as like, you know, you see visas in the States, like player visas are, are now more accessible um, than mm -hmm. they ever were. And not just in the States, but around the world. And uh, I think it'll continue like that. And so uh, um, can you tell me more, I guess you don't even have to well, tell to me so much more about, about that particularly, but do you see uh, kind of the government playing a, a big role uh, in esports growth? Um, uh, just like to respond directly, specifically, uh, you know, as somebody who uh, interacts very closely to that as an expatriate uh, in America, specifically, player visas uh, and all O and P visas are um, basically impossible at this given point in time, uh, not only because of the global crisis we're all going through, uh, but also due to uh, drastically changing uh, immigration, um, uh, well, changes uh, in uh, America. So while initially there was a lot of hype around uh, specifically P1 visas being available for mm. uh, international esports uh, competitors, nowadays that is... Um, maybe more technically possible, but in reality, uh, extremely difficult. Um, you have the best and brightest minds in the legal and immigration law world who are being completely stonewalled by uh, a ton of immigration changes. This is specifically for America. I know that Schengen regions have very similar issues uh, happening right now, but I think specifically America uh, visas are extremely, extremely difficult. Uh, more conservative governmental changes in South Korea also make that more difficult when it comes to esports uh, here. But I would say that the number of people applying for international esports visas in Korea are very low, whereas the number of people applying for international esports visas in America is um, 
probably higher than anywhere else in the world, I would say. Don't quote me on that one, but that at least seems to be my um, uh, understanding. Uh, there's uh, one of the, I, I think, greatest minds in uh, esports uh, immigration, um, if you want to call that the field. Uh, Maybe you want to call it sports immigration. Um, but uh, her name is Je Jeannie Doy, and she works as an immigration uh, esports lawyer um, at Pure Genie US. She's fantastic and definitely one of the four, uh, forefront on this uh, very complicated, sometimes intractably frustrating uh, field. And so that is something I foresee becoming more and more um, difficult uh, or just complex in the future because initially when esports athletes were attempting to get visas or commentators or whatever were attempting to get visas um nobody took it seriously and so the reason they were denied visas is because they weren't because they could not prove because nobody had ever proven that what they're doing was a real thing because it wasn't a real thing for a very long time and so initially there was a lot there's a widening of acceptance exactly what you were talking about where Esports athletes were more uh, able to get visas than ever before now that they've been uh, approved for P1 visas and even longer term visas in different fields. Um, that was amazing. Um, you even had uh, esports athletes able to obtain visas for an esports purpose and then transition those visas into green cards, into other uh, longer term. Uh, working visas outside of esports, fantastic things happening, maybe two, three, four years ago. Um, but now uh, that esports is a little bit of a hotter buzzword and more people are making more money, um, it becomes increasingly complicated um, due to like governmental uh, changes, policy changes, and just visas in general. So uh, that's a long way to answer your question, but uh, in, a, in essence, I would say that Though esports is maybe more double quotes legitimate than it used to be, uh, the process of specifically visas and governmental acceptance is still very complicated and will probably only become more complicated in the future. Something you you mentioned was that there's not so many people coming uh, seeking you know visas for to work in esports in uh, in Korea. Do, uh, do mm -hmm. you see? Do you see there are opportunities for, say, students for internships or people from uh, from other places that are like such as yourself? Uh, are there more opportunities in esports that are available, um, or is it pretty limited for uh, you know for I guess Westerners? Uh, yeah, I would say exceptionally limited. Um, the The problem is that due to the length of time in visa processing, the uh, preparation oftentimes is prohibited when you consider the dynamic nature of esports planning um many long-term uh many esports do not announce long-term plans and the ones that do do not announce those long-term plans so far in advance to allow for the proper processing of visas for players teams broadcasters staff whatever um and and so the ability to go through the process of visa approval, I would say, is most necessary for players. And so that can be leveraged. You know, the league doesn't happen if the players aren't there. And so, you know, you, you would imagine that that is a higher priority to announce the league 
far enough in advance to get players their visa. Even that's not happening these days. And I would say that uh, when you consider countries outside of America, um, that is an exceptionally complex uh, topic uh, that everyone is trying to navigate these days. Um, so I would say that you should never expect things to go the way that they are supposed to, which is maybe just a great perspective to have for all of esports, but specifically uh, for working internationally in esports. And this even extends to things like internships, um, maybe less so slightly because internships tend to be a little bit more flexible. But uh, thankfully, esports is pretty culturally accepted here in South Korea. And so uh, if you are going to a school, um, in uh, America that has sort of a sister school in the country you're looking to go to, whether this is you know, many UK or German universities, many universities in America have sister universities in Korea. Um, uh, UI, UIUC, um, Urbana-Champaign, has a wonderful relationship with a Korean university out here, and they um, sent uh, quite a few of their students over here just because many Korean students go over there to study uh, vice versa. So I would say that if you're in a university esports program, if you're fortunate enough to be going to uh, one of those, um, that makes it a lot more doable to experience uh, other countries through an esports uh, internship, especially if esports is well accepted, say a country like Korea. Um, so while things may be getting more complicated for everybody else, they might be a little bit easier for you. That depends on how badass your uh, coordinator is. So whoever is the dean of the school of esports, if such a thing exists, um, if they are just the salt of the earth, you know, go uh, get them to work on your behalf. Um, because that's usually how I see most success through esports internships happen, is if you just have uh, a legend in your esports department. Um, making things happen for you. Looking beyond uh, strictly internships, um, something I did was kind of uh, move to Berlin with on just like the basic trap tourist visa and then uh, mm -hmm. you're allowed to apply for, you know, a work visa or a freelance visa or the job seekers visa, which gives you, you know, six months or whatever to apply to find, okay. to look for a job. And then you apply for the, the work visa actually when you get one. Um, I'm currently on a two year freelance visa uh, which okay. gives me quite a bit of flexibility as long as I'm working within certain parameters. Do you think that there's mm -hmm. a there's a the ability for people Westerners to move to you know Seoul, kind of establish themselves, um, and then um, kind of go from there, or find you know like a freelance visa themselves, and then kind of get kind of hired into positions um, in that aspect? No, <laughs> that's the short answer. Uh, almost. Yeah, I would know. That's look. Uh, the great thing about esports is that anybody can make anything happen. Um, but if look, uh, you know, start start studying rocket science because by the time you understand that, uh, you'll you'll be farther along than you will uh, on on that. I would say that, uh, yeah, that is probably not a an opportunity that will be in any way readily available to almost anyone but good luck all right kind of back on track uh 
You spoke before about how you got the opportunity in Seoul originally was through someone in your network kind of reached out and asked if you were available for this position. Um, can you yeah. tell me kind of about your networking experience and if you find it valuable? I mean, it clearly seems like it has been. Um, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, networking really depends on where you are at in your uh, career. Um, I would say my experience networking, uh, you know, different people listening to this will uh, understand it differently. Um, uh, my experience in networking uh, is almost always through uh, total tragedy. Um, I was, like many others before me, very not cut out for esports uh, when I first got into it. Um, and highly underestimated the significance of networking because I had basically zero guidance. Um, and a lot of people, myself included, were just kind of feeling our way around to uh, varying levels of success. Um, uh, networking is extremely uh, important uh, in esports. So the best thing you can do is never say anything bad about anybody, no matter what, and just make as many friends as you can. Um, uh, many times this is done disingenuously, but I would say that. Um, you really have to decide where your uh, boundaries lie uh, when it comes to uh, networking uh, and how many uh, you know, people you are going to say you like to make them like you, um, you are willing to, uh, to do. Um, uh, I would say that because networking is so important, uh, Everybody recognizes that, and that puts an incredible amount of social pressure um, on people working from a position of weakness. This is anybody trying to double quotes make it, um, which is most people. Anyone in any sort of like a, an influencer position, if you are lucky enough to be able to leverage your position, then you know, wow, how privileged are you? Uh, because most people are not. Uh, especially people looking to, like I said, uh, make it. And so networking is really important. But I will say that like my, uh, the benefits that I have always gotten from networking have not been from places that are traditional. Um, and so my, my advice would not be maybe most people's advice. I would say most people would probably tell you to, you know, go to all the mixers and, you know, shake hands with all the nice people. Well, not nowadays. Um, shaking hands is not recommended, but metaphorically speaking, uh, to get out there and meet as many people, be as nice as you can, uh, just socialize all the time. Uh, I would, my advice is to get really good at figuring out which people genuinely care. Maybe not about you, but about what it is that they're doing. Um, because chances are these people care so much that uh, it makes them a little bit more genuine. Um, because if you really care, then you're willing to cut fewer corners uh, for the legitimacy of whatever it is that, that you're doing. Um, and a lot of times these are not going to be the most successful people who care the most. A lot of times these will be people who are struggling just like you're struggling. Um, so while it's great to network with people who can give you amazing opportunities, uh, I would say it's equally important to network with people who can offer you nothing now, but who may be able to offer you things in, in the future. And, and I would say that 
while networking is almost unanimously interpreted as trying to get something, you know, uh, the the best kind of networking is where you are looking for people to work with you. And I think that's the most critical um, uh, ability that good network uh, that is well essential to good networking is being able to illustrate your own ability um, and uh, determine whether or not another person is, you know is uh, the kind of person who you you want to work with um i see a lot of people get super far ahead by being incredibly disingenuous um i would say that esports in general is incredibly nepotistic and so to the degree that you are willing to interact with those concepts uh, you will experience a degree of success. Um, that success may be fleeting. That success may be um, superficial. That success may not contribute to your character as a person. But everyone de defines success differently. Uh, you know, if I'm playing a game and there's a victory screen at the end, for a lot of people, that's their win condition. Other people are just playing to have a good game. Um, other people are playing to hone their own skills. Uh, a lot of people are, are playing a lot of games for a lot of different reasons, and each one of them has their own win conditions. So if you're out here to become the best version of yourself, well, there's a place for you in esports, but it might not be where you want it to be. If you're out here to be the biggest, bestest, most famousest, richest, most powerful person, I mean, you can do that in esports too. You just are going to have to sacrifice quite a bit to get there. Um, it is it is truly rare that people achieve things without having to sacrifice things uh, they did not think that they would have to on their way uh, to their goal. Um, so, uh, yeah, networking is important. There's a lot of different ways to do it and um, a lot of different levels that you can do it on. Uh, it's pretty important to sit down with yourself and, you know, draw some boundaries and figure out like how you want to get where you want to get and then to pursue that to the extent that you can. And if you find that it requires more than you are willing to commit to it, then you know that's that time to make that decision about if you are going to commit more than you previously decided you would or not. Um, and everybody has to make that decision sooner or later about something or other. Uh, and I think you can tell a lot about people based on how they make, you know, that that decision through networking, through opportunities they take, um, or through the opportunities they are given through things like networking. So, the end. Thank you for attending my TED talk. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Um, so, let's talk a little bit about applying for jobs. So not really applying for jobs. I guess as a broadcaster, let's talk a little bit okay. about um, how you'd recommend people find uh, opportunities for casting. Um, I mean, there's a couple of classical ways to do it. Uh, one of them is just putting yourself out there. A um, lot of people want 
you to do commentary for free. Um, I would say the yeah, okay, so there's there's a couple ways that are pretty ubiquitous, and I'll give my like take on that at the end. So way number one is just make content, stream, make YouTube videos, stream to two viewers, stream to no viewers, uh, make a hundred YouTube videos that never break double digit viewers. Um, just do that. Uh, but while you're doing it, do it intelligently. Um, improve, hone your craft, figure out what, like ask yourself, if the biggest game company in the world called you tomorrow and wanted you to do the finals of the biggest tournament in the world, would you be prepared? For almost all people, the answer is no. But, you know, that's the goal, right? And so you have to work with whatever your goal is in mind. Um, if you want to be an esports producer, well, spend a lot of hard-earned cash on equipment you'll never use to figure out how it works. Um, get used to it. If, you're, if you like games, then play a bunch of games, either get good at them or get good at talking about them. Um, and that's one way to get noticed. Uh, another way to double quotes get noticed is to uh, work for free a lot at very low levels, uh, college, collegiate level, great uh, amount of opportunities. I got a lot of my initial work with uh, the Collegiate Star League, something I guess maybe you've heard of and maybe a lot of other people have heard of. Um, tons of opportunities uh, at the collegiate level. Um, and uh, and so those are a couple of ways uh, to to do it. I would say the best way, at least that I can see right now, as somebody who's totally new and uh, you know has nothing, uh, it's a, it's super important to figure out where you want to go and to you know continually refine that. But get anything to create a proof of concept, whether that's you casting a tournament only your friends are playing in. Uh, whether it's you streaming uh, a funny game or a scary game or whatever, and then make a highlight video out of it. Um, whether it's you just have to get a thing that you can show people. And maybe your thing is totally bad, but a thing that is less totally bad than the first thing you made will be the second thing you made and the third thing you make. So just get a proof of concept. So put together a highlight reel of you casting your community tournament or a highlight reel of your funniest stream or whatever, and then like sell that to people. And probably nobody will be willing to buy that. But eventually, if you do that well enough and iterate on it, you'll get to where you want to go. So as far as recommendations for applying for jobs, you've got to have something to show the people you're applying to. Uh, and nowadays, because everybody's applying for jobs, you should probably uh have something pretty good to show people so figure out a way to get something good to show people and then show it to people and then figure out a way to get something that is good enough to show to people uh and then show it to people and then um you will uh have to deal with tons and tons of disappointment when the thing that you have that is good enough uh is not good enough to the people it should be. Um, and then you just have to do that process over and over again until uh, it works. Uh, what makes a good reel? What makes a good reel? Well, uh, something I ask myself, everybody asks themselves. Um, uh, you got to, well, I, I can tell you when you, like, you'll know it when you have it. Um, uh, also, other people will know it when you have it. 
So I think what makes a good reel is if other people like it, which sounds stupid, but I don't mean other people you're applying to jobs for. I mean like your friends, uh, peers, coworkers. Um, I will say actually with shocking commonality, you can show your reel to actual esports professionals. Like, I mean, many people are busy or don't have the time of day for you because, you know, people have lives. But um, me, I know other people out there are more than happy enough to take a look at reels. I just took a look at a reel for a friend of mine uh, the other day. Um, as, as far as like a demonstrable uh, steps, uh, step number one is to get a good editor. If that's you, then this is not only a reel for your broadcasting talent, but for your editing talent. Um, uh, maybe reels are not very widely accessible. Sometimes they are, and that's great. If you can just go watch other people's reels and just do that, just do that same thing. Um, but things that you need good editing. So either hire a good editor, pay him 50, hundred bucks. I don't know, whatever it takes to look through a bunch of your photos or your, your footage, uh, know your footage. Uh, if you have a chance to broadcast an upcoming tournament, so 10 days from now, you're broadcasting a tournament. Well, think to yourself, okay, what do I want to do during this tournament? Either think of, I don't know, funny stuff to say. Think of, uh, what are some good things that you heard other commentators say? Uh, like think of what it is about you that you want people to get. Um, and then when you've prepared for all of this, uh, you know, shoot your shot, uh, when you have that broadcasting opportunity or streaming opportunity or whatever, uh, I don't know, take clips of that or timestamps or make an Excel spreadsheet with lists of, hey, I did a cool thing I want to show people. Um, and then put those all together. Um, uh, initial, uh, the, the first two videos, I would say, of your reel should have your face in them speaking because eventually in the reel you're going to have your voice without your face and whoever's watching your reel should know that which one's you and which one's your co-caster so um the best way you can start off any reel i think is with your caster nameplate in front of you your face on the screen you illustrating chemistry with your co-commentator while you make a funny reference that both shows that you are hilarious, but also that you understand the game on a deep enough level to make a joke that people who play the game, the community that the publisher and the tournament wants to interact with, the prime demographic gets. Um, uh, you know, not some of this cringy fellow kids stuff, um, but just, you know, keep working on making content that you want to show people and then put it all together. There you go. Great answer. Thank you for that. Um, is there anyone you look up to in the esports industry? Anyone in particular? <laughs> I mean, I look, look, in order to be in esports, you got to, like I said, anybody who's been in esports for five plus years at this point, like they've just gone through some things. Like they need a hug, okay? Uh, some of them less so than others, depending on their experiences. Um, but esports is hard. Um, and I use that in the most general, uh, way. Uh, now just because it's hard doesn't mean that that's an excuse to 
you know, not do what you need to do. Um, I and many others have, you know, can do, could have done things differently or better, uh, whatever. Um, but uh, as far as people I look up to, basically anybody that's trying to make it look good for you, props. Um, I, I look up to a lot of people who are, I was watching, <laughs> I was watching this like 30 viewer Age of Empires 2 stream of this guy who just like turned it on and was like, hey, so me and my friends are going to play Age of Empires and I'm going to like talk about it. And he was like talking about like what he, like what he ate at his friend's house because he knows his friends obviously more than anybody else. And I was like, wow, you know, that he, he's going for it. Okay, you know, mission accomplished there. Uh, as far as people at the top that I look up to, um, obviously any premier commentator from any game has something about themselves that they have worked incredibly hard to craft. Um, lot of people uh on top of those lists if you turn on any stream that's you know the official stream for whatever game it is the people are there are for the most part there because they deserve to be um there's exceptions to every rule but um i mean i'm watching tekken tournaments to just see how insanely hyped these commentators can get i'm watching uh starcraft league of legends tournaments to you know see how like detailed uh, a lot of this analysis can be just the the level of like in-depth commentary you get from those games i'm watching oh man games like uh like dota that require just stamina to be able to go through a best of three that spans like four hours like oh my gosh um I watch everything, and I don't think a lot of commentators do. I know very few commentators who watch games that they do not broadcast. And I would say that that is not uniquely like my niche, but I mean, I'm watching uh, like EX Slayer tournaments from Japan. I'm watching Age of Empires 2 tournaments from Vietnam. I'm watching world of warplanes tournaments from moscow i'm watching like all this crazy stuff because for me like the competition is just there and i i'm down to watch anybody who's got something to say about that so i just love the people i respect most in esports are the people who genuinely love the game that they are working on, uh, which is shockingly few, not because of the broadcasters, but because of just esports as an industry that does not always afford uh, the people who feel passionately about something the opportunity to be paid to feel passionately about something. Uh, you know, if there's two spots for commentators and there's three qualified commentators, one person does not get to commentate, which is a harsh reality of all jobs, but specifically esports. Um, and so even if you see some guy casting the C stream of a tournament that has players nobody cares about in the round of 1,028, um, there's nothing that says that guy cares less about the game than like, you know, caster has been working for 25 years at the top of his game at the biggest esport. Um, so as far as who I look up to anybody that I can see like genuinely cares and is not, you know, the mouthpiece of a massive corporation advertising, uh, 
you know, false enthusiasm to children so that they will support corporate greed. Like, um, yeah, anybody that genuinely cares about what it is that they're doing, not because they get to do it, but even if they did not get to do it, um, you know, that those those are the real ones. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so kind of wrapping up most of what we spoke about um, in a fairly, uh, I guess, succinct way, uh, how would someone who wants to, you know, be a broadcaster in esports, how would they land a job in esports and contribute to the industry? Okay, short version. Um, depends on what you want to do. If you want to be a broadcaster, which is what I maybe know the most about, um, cast something, anything, um, and then show other people you casting that and ask for feedback. Uh, hard, the hardest thing to do, I think this is almost unanimous between all broadcasters, is watch your own broadcasts uh, and then get people whose opinion you care about to watch your broadcast. All of this feedback will be horrendous, actually terrible, but it's your ability to go through all of that and continuing proving that uh, will determine a large degree of your success. Uh, then, once you think you're okay at it, go tell people you're okay at it. And once they tell you you are, then you'll start uh, getting some lower-level opportunities. And then I, I think it is during those opportunities that you have to really, like, all in, like, really work hard at getting better um, at what you do by studying what other people are doing um, and going you know, above and beyond. Um, and there's, I'm trying to be general here. Specifics are do whatever, do whatever it takes to like get, uh, like out there, whether it's, you know, casting some tournament, get a reel, show that reel to people, network with people, uh, like ask people, tell people what you're interested in, what you want to do. And then, uh, if you do this for long enough, um, then eventually things will start to come together, uh, hopefully. And if they don't, then, you know, you have to, you know, either accept that or refuse to accept that and keep going until you make it. Awesome. Thanks. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug? Where do people find you? <laughs> uh, I'm rapid casting everywhere. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I'm morally opposed to TikTok, so we're not there yet. But, uh, you know, the kids of the future. Look, if you're looking to be the first TikTok esports superstar, that field is ripe for you. Uh, yeah, um, I would say that uh, Twitter and Instagram are the places I am most active uh, at twitter.com slash rapidcasting esports. Um, for all of my esports content, uh, for the most part. Um, otherwise, um, you can find me in Seoul, South Korea. If you're ever out here, I got some good ramen recommendations. Um, but otherwise, um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's me. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Reed, for coming on the the show today. And uh, I think the viewers or the listeners will um, find all the insight very valuable. Uh, I appreciate your time. Yeah, I really hope so. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to. Uh, maybe we'll have you back in some time in the future. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Reed. Thank you so much for listening to the Work in Esports podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a follow 
and let us know who you might want to see next on the podcast. Thanks, and see you next time.